God, thank you so much for this morning. God, I love our kids and I love our teachers. And God, we're just thankful this morning uh, that we have students and teachers here at our campus, God, right now, uh, that are here to learn about you, that are here to, to follow you, that have said yes to you. And so, God, we just continue to pray over them. And would you remind us this week to continue to pray over our students and our teachers? And, uh, but right now, God, we just we want to dive into your word. Uh, we are excited to dive into your word and to continue this series in the book of Ephesians. And God, I just, I just pray, as I do every week, that you would speak through me this morning. Uh, The words that come out of my mouth would be your words for your people on your day. God, we want to leave this space and this time knowing that we have met with the one true God. God, we have already felt you as we have worshipped God. Would we just continue to feel you in this place and continue to feel your presence around us as we we dive into your word. God, we love you. We give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, we are in... Uh, week three, actually, of our series in the book of Ephesians. Uh, It's been a fun series so far. We've kind of taken a look through uh, chapter one, and the first week looked at how we are the church. Uh, That was kind of the the very beginning of this series, talking about we are the church. We are the body of Christ, and Jesus Christ is the head of the church, his body. Uh, And so we talked about that during week one. Remember, the church is us. We are the church. The church is not a building. We, are not, we don't go to church to consume church. We are not consumers of church. The church is not an institution. We are not competitors as the church. Uh, that's just not who we are. We are the church. And then last week, we jumped into chapter 2, uh, looked at the first 10 verses there, probably one of the more significant passages in Scripture, um, you know, just really the gospel. This is the gospel. Paul's just really talking through, this is the gospel. It starts with God, and we look at us, and we look at Jesus, and we look at our response. And I just want to, if you, if you miss any of those, you can go back and listen online. You can look at the podcast, but we're going to just continue to, to move on, picking up where we left off this morning, and moving into chapter 3 as well this morning. So we're going to be in Ephesians chapter 2, starting at verse 11. Uh, I, I failed to write down the page number. If you're in one of our pew Bibles, I apologize. That's where we're going to start this morning. We'll move a little bit through some more of Paul's letters this morning, but we're going to start in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 11. And I just want to just want to remind us, even as we read, that really the first half of Ephesians is more theological in nature. This is about right belief. Paul is talking about what we believe. This is what we believe to be true. Again, last week was the gospel. The very first week was kind of we are the church. Christ is the head of the church. It was theology. This, this week, again, is a little more theology. And next week will be as well. And then we'll start to get into the second half of this book about what does it look like to actually live out the life that Paul is calling us to here. So this week, again, going to be a little more theologically minded, but it's a good, I think it's just really good stuff. So starting in verse 11 of chapter 2, and we are going to read all the way to chapter 3, verse 13. So here we go. Therefore, and we won't go back. I know you're waiting for me to say what's therefore there. We won't. We've, we've been there. It's because of the gospel, right? Therefore, Remember that formerly, you who are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision, which is done in the body by human hands, remember that at the time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope 
and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace, and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross, by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near, For through him we both have access to the Father by one spirit. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. I want to stop there just for a second. Like I said, we'll continue to read here. But I want us just to, to notice this. This should sound familiar. Uh, this is not really anything new that Paul is talking about here. Remember in, chap- in, verse, in chapter 1. Verse 4, remember this we and you language that is there. Verse 4, we were chosen. Verse 5, we were predestined. Continues talking about the blessings that that we receive. And then in verse 13, changes it. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of the truth, the gospel of your salvation. Goes on to say that when you believed, you were given the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now you remember from the, 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 the we in this passage is really... The Israelites, the the Old Testament people of God. The you in this passage is really the Gentiles, which pretty much just means everyone else. You've got we, the Israelites, and you, everyone else. And Paul has been saying throughout the book of Ephesians, look, remember, for you, the Gentiles, you were separate for a time. You were not included in this. You were separated from us. You were separated from Christ. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away, you've been brought near. He's reminding, he's kind of reiterating what he said in chapter 1. He's reiterating some super important things here. Verse 13, now in Christ Jesus, you who were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Verse 17, he came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. Remember, the same thing. We're getting the same thing. For through him, we both have access to the Father by one spirit. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners or strangers, but fellow citizens with God people and also members of his household. I want you just to see this. The Gentiles here for Paul are now, we're part of the family. You're no longer foreigners. You are no longer strangers. You You are fellow citizens Where are you citizens of? The kingdom of God. You are fellow citizens and with God's people and also members of his household. You have been brought in. You are adopted. You have been brought into this. What is Paul saying here again to close out chapter 2? He's saying, look, we are all one body. We are all one body. Back to the end of of chapter 1 even. We are his body. Not just a select few, 
Not just the chosen ones in verse 4 or the predestined ones in verse 5. Paul kind of leaves those sentiments in the Old Testament and says, look, we are all included. We are all here. We are all one body. And actually, he, he, can, he, he tries to go on here. He tries to move on in the very first part of, of chapter 3. It says, for this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles... And then it stops. Now, some versions, New American Standard and some other versions, try to kind of uh, smooth this over by just kind of putting the next sentence right there as if it's meant to be just one sentence. There's a break here. <laughs> There's a break here. The, and I actually love the fact that the NIV makes this a brand new paragraph. Just kind of leaves Paul kind of like, for this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner of the Lord, and it just stops. Have you ever been trying to say something? and then forgot the point that you were trying to make and then had to go back and make it? This is sort of what Paul is doing here. Right, Paul is like, I'm going to move on here. For, for, and before this reason, I, Paul, I'm going to... Oh, wait, I forgot to say this. So then he keeps going. Surely you've heard about the administration of God's grace that was given to me for you. That is, the mystery made known to me by revelation, as I have already written briefly. And reading this then, you will be able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to people in other generations as it has now been revealed by the Spirit to God's holy apostles and prophets. This mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body, and sharers together in the promise in Christ Jesus. I became a servant of this gospel. By the gift of God's grace given me through the working of his power, although I am less than the least of all the Lord's people, this grace was given to me to preach to the Gentiles the boundless riches of Christ and to make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery, which for ages past was kept hidden in God, who created all things. His intent was that now, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms according to his eternal purpose that he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. In him and through faith in him, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. I ask you, therefore, not to be discouraged because of my sufferings for you, which are for your glory. And then he continues on, which we'll get to next week. For this reason. <laughs> he kind of gets back to the for this reason part. Yeah, I think I'm just purely speculating here. This is... I didn't research this, purely speculating. I think probably part of the reason that he, he, uh, he stopped right there, I think he just, he's using this language of, I'm a prisoner of Jesus Christ for the sake of you. And then at the very end of this, he says, therefore, don't be discouraged because of my sufferings. Like, he's almost like, I might have gone too far there. I, didn't wanna, I don't want to discourage you because I'm suffering for you, right? But I do want to reiterate this. So, so here, here, is, here is what Paul is doing here. I, I just I think that really there's there's kind of two words, two phrases that really kind of stick to my mind when I read this passage. And the first one is this. It's this word mystery. Right, Paul uses this word mystery specifically in this chapter three section. He uses it a few times. Right? Verse three, the mystery made known to be to me by revelation. Verse 4, you'll be able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ. Verse 9, to make plain to everyone the administration or the plan of this mystery. There's verse 6 there as well. We'll get to it in a second. But I think I just want to, you know, this is a spot where 
Our English language sometimes doesn't do us justice as we're reading the scripture. Mystery, when we think of mystery, it's kind of like this dark, ominous, uh, what is this sort of thing. That's what we think of when we think of mystery. It's kind of this obscure secret, it's, it's puzzling, all that kind of stuff. Something mysterious is sort of unexplainable. The Greek word here is a little bit different. The Greek word here is mysterion, which is where we get our word mystery. And although, yes, even with that word, it is still a secret, it's no longer a closely guarded secret. It's kind of an open secret. Right? In early Christianity, these mysteries that we read about, not just here, but in some of Paul's other letters as well, Colossians talks about mystery, 1 Corinthians talks about a mystery, really what the early Christians are talking about, these mysteries were truths that were beyond human discovery, but revealed to us by God, so that now the church can know this. This is what the mystery is in Scripture. When you read this word mystery, it's not like a mystery like, oh, I guess no one, ever, no one will ever know. No, it's a mystery as in like normal human language would say this is ridiculous, but God has revealed this truth to us, the church. And what this mystery is, what is this mystery that doesn't make sense outside of God revealing it to the church? Paul doesn't actually leave us guessing what this mystery is. We get to verse 6. This mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body, and sharers together in the promise of Jesus Christ. See, the mystery of Christ in Ephesians is that no matter who you are or where you're coming from, no matter what you did or who you did it with, no matter what, if you have said yes to Jesus, you are part of the body of Christ. No matter what. It doesn't matter if you came from the right place or the wrong place. It doesn't matter if you were born into the right family or not. If you have said yes to Jesus, you are members of one body. And you share together in the promise of Jesus Christ. And just as a side note here, a lot of people, as you read scriptures, end up kind of sort of identifying with the Israelites in a lot of ways. And I just want to say that's not where we identify. Amen. You and I are not the Israelites. That's right. You and I are the Gentiles. That's right. We're part of this everyone else that Jesus brings into the picture in the New Testament. That's where we fit in. Right? We are part of the Gentiles. And this mystery is great news for you and me. Because even though we were not part of the chosen or the predestined in the Old Testament, the Israelites, as we talked about in the Word of God series. We are part of the family of God. We have been adopted. We are part of the body of Christ. We are one. Amen. You know, Paul, in some of his other letters, actually unpacks what it means to be one body. In the book of Romans, Romans chapter 12, you don't have to go there with me if you don't want, but you're more than welcome. Uh, Romans chapter 12, starting at verse 3. It says, for the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has attributed to each of you. For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body. 
and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to this, the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it is serving, then serve. If it is teaching, then teach. If it's to encourage, then give encouragement. If it is giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. We are all a part of the body. And as the body, we belong to each other. We function together. We all have different gifts, different abilities. And it doesn't mean that just because we're one means we're the same. We're not. We are not the same. We have different gifts, different abilities that God has given us, but each of those gifts and each of those abilities is designed to work together so the body of Christ would function. We'll read a little bit later. We'll get to this next passage in a second, but and that's sort of how this mystery works. All right, we're all one body, but sometimes we think like, I can't sing like this person, so I must not be as much of a part of the body as that person. I can't pray like this person. I must not be as much a part of the body as this person. I can't do this or I can't do that like that person can. I must not be that much a part of the body. Why, why do we do this? <laughs> why do we do this to ourselves? We are all a part of the body of Christ. And again, just like the church is not competitors, as the parts of the body, we are not competitors. We all have the same head, Jesus Christ. We are all functioning in the same body. Now, Paul actually addressed some of this in 1 Corinthians as well. 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 12, starting at verse 12. Just as a body, though one, has many parts, but all its parts form one body, so it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one spirit, so as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, remember, this is Paul again, just driving this home. Whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free, we were all given the one spirit to drink. Even so, the body is not made up of one part, but of many. Now, if the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I don't belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I don't belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has placed the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts but one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And the parts that we think are less honorable, we treat with special honor. And the parts that are unpresentable are treated with special modesty. While our presentable parts need no special treatment. But God has put the body together, giving, giving greater honor to the parts that lacked it. So there should be no division in the body. But that its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. Now you are the body of Christ. And each one of you is a part of it. You are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. Now we go back to Ephesians, and you just see this is what Paul is trying to drive home to this church that is obviously made up of both Jews and Gentiles. We are one 
body. We talked about this in week one as well, so I don't want to, I don't want to just stay here and harp on this, but I just, I want you just to, Paul is calling the church to a unity here that is unlike any that they would have seen at the time. This is the mystery, the mystery that has been revealed to the church, that no matter who you are or where you came from, you are a part of the body of Christ. You're a part But this mystery in the book of Ephesians didn't just stay there. Paul continues on in the back half of our passage here from 7 to 13. He kind of shifts, right? He goes from this mystery to really the the mission or the ministry even. Uh, he, He goes on here, verse 7, I became a servant of this gospel by the grace of God, by the gift of God's grace given me through the working of his power. Although I am less than the least of all the Lord's people, this grace was given to me to preach to the Gentiles the boundless riches of Christ and to make plain to everyone the administration of the plan of this mystery, which for ages was kept hidden in God, who created all things. His intent was that now, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and the authorities in the heavenly realms according to his eternal purpose that he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. In him and through faith in him, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. I ask you, therefore, do not be discouraged because of my sufferings for you, which are your glory. Now, he, he kind of has two parts of this mission here for himself and then kind of says, there's another part for you. All right. First, he says, I've been given the grace to go and to preach to the Gentiles. This is true of Paul, even from the book of Acts. Paul was called to go to the Gentiles, to go to everyone else, to share this gospel around the world. This is Paul's mission. But he also doesn't just leave it there. In verse 8, he says, I'm called to preach to the Gentiles, the balanced riches of Christ. Verse 9, and to make plain to everyone. That word everyone there, you'll be surprised to know in the Greek, it, it just means everyone. Everyone. To make plain to everyone the plan, the administration of this mystery. What's that mystery again? Oh yeah, that we are all one body. Uh, my mission is just to make clear to everyone that we are one. And then he, he goes even further than this. And in verse 10, he includes the church. Remember, the body of Christ, which all of us are a part of. And he says, his intent was that now, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms. Now, through the church, this is, this is a tricky piece, right? That we're supposed to make it known in the heavenly realms. Like, through the church, even the angels see, right? But here's, here's what Paul was getting here. Paul is kind of making this progression. There's the Gentiles, there's everyone, and there is even to the heavenlies. This is where this has to go. And when he gets to that part, when he's talking about this needs to go everywhere, that he includes the church. It is the church that makes, uh, uh, I just want to read this, this part again, verse 10. His intent was that now through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities and the heavenly realms according to his eternal purpose that he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. What is this manifold wisdom of God that has been revealed? It's this mystery. 
Remember this, this mystery, that, that we need to understand what a mystery means again. This has been revealed to us by God, out of God's wisdom. So we, as a church, we take this wisdom, this knowledge that, that, that through the gospel, everyone, our heirs together with Israel, members together of one body, shares together in the promise in Christ Jesus, that everyone can take part in that. Everyone. That's, that's where we go and we make known. We go and we take the gospel to everyone because everyone who says yes is a part of the family of God. Everyone who accepts Jesus is a part of the family of God. We are one body. No matter who we are, no matter where we come from or what we've done, if we've said yes, we go. And we are the messengers. And what a message that we take. Uh, we're one. Now, I think especially in the times we live in, we need to remember and kind of embrace this sentiment. Now, what does it mean to be one? Part of one body. Does it mean that we agree on everything? No. We're going to disagree, probably on a lot. I like the Lions. I know at least one person here likes the Chiefs. We're going to disagree on who's going to win the Super Bowl this year, for now. <laughs> they probably have a better chance than I do, but hey, it doesn't matter. We're going to disagree on a lot. I, even on deeper things, and just sports teams, right? Like, I, I even just go back to the, the disciples. Look at who Jesus picked to be his disciples. One guy was named Matthew. He was a tax collector. He was a government worker, essentially. One guy was named Simon, and we know Simon as Simon the Zealot. You know what a zealot was? A zealot was someone who wanted to overthrow the government. So here's Jesus, and out of the 12 guys he picked, he's got a government worker and someone wants to take over his job. You can imagine some of the fireside chats that they had. <laughs> they did not disagree. They did not agree on everything. I guarantee you this. But they were united around one thing. Amen. Jesus was who he says he was. And he would do the things he says he would do. And they would be saved by believing in him. We can disagree on almost everything. But we are united around that one fact. Jesus came. He lived a life that we couldn't live. He died the death that we deserved to die. He was raised to life again so that we might have eternity with him. We agree. We believe. And we know that by believing in him, we can be saved. We are one body. We are one. This is what Paul is saying here. Paul spends almost the first half of this book just talking about being one. No matter who you are, no matter where you've come from, no matter what you've done, if you've said yes to Jesus, you are a part of the body. You are accepted and included in the family of God. And I just want to say this. If Jesus says that anyone can be included, who are we to exclude anyone from the family of God? Amen. There is no one that is beyond the reach of the gospel. There is no one that is beyond the sacrifice on the cross, there is no one that cannot be included in this family. Not one. We are one. The mystery that has been revealed to us is that through the gospel, the Gentiles, remember, everyone, <laughs> are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body, and shares together in the promise 
in Christ Jesus. And it's through the church that everyone will know. Even up to the heavenlies. And this is beginning to sound awfully familiar with another guy that we know in Scripture. His name's Jesus. All right, in the book of John, John chapter 17, Jesus prays for believers. In verse 20, he says, My prayer is not for them alone. I pray for also those Pray also for those who believe in me through their message that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. Remember, he's praying for unity. He's praying that we would be one, one body. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. I in them and you in me so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. How does the world, even up to the heavenlies, know that this gospel is for everyone? That's Jesus says. It's through the church being one. This is essentially what Paul is saying in Ephesians as well. That it is through revealing this mystery that we are all one body that even the heavenlies will know. And we are one body. If you have said yes to Jesus, you are a part of that body. Everyone can be included. We are one. Paul, maybe finally for some of you, maybe thinking this moves on, and we'll get there next week. But I just want you to just to to soak this in this week. What does it look like that, that we're one? What does it look like to be a part of a united body of Christ? What does it look like to, to know that even though like, I've done some things in my life, I'm still a part of the body of Christ? What does it look like to, to look out into the world where you see people you work with and the people that you see at the grocery store and to realize they can also be part of this body? They can also be part of this one What would it look like? How would it change our perspective to see the world as that? Think about that this week as you go. And uh, we are one body. This is what Paul is saying. And man, I'm such a good message, especially for the times we find ourselves in. Let's pray. God, we love you. And we are just grateful for you, grateful for your your presence in this place this morning, God. We're grateful for all that you have done to move in our lives and through our lives and, and even just to bring us into this place where we are a part of your body. God, I just pray that as we go out from this space, we would begin to see people through this lens that even the, everyone that we see can be a part of this body. That everyone is welcome. Everyone is a part of the family of God as long as they say yes to you. God, we just we give you thanks and praise for, for bringing that message to us. And we give you thanks and praise that many of us have said yes to that message and we include ourselves as part of that body. But God, I just pray that we would not grow comfortable as just being this body. That we would go out and want to bring more in.
God, we just, we desire more of you. Would you be with us this week as we go? Would you be with our students as they start school, our teachers as they begin to teach this week and some last week? And would we just, just cover them in prayer? And will we just feel your blessing so much this week that we can't help but glow when we go outside? That we would just reveal you to everyone that we meet. God, we love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Would you stand with me this morning? And uh, let me just say a word of blessing over you. Uh, Just hold your hands out and just receive this blessing from God. May our God, God of grace and love and truth, may he go ahead of you and with you this week. May he encourage you and give you courage to go and be the person he's calling you to be, to go and do the things that he is calling you to do. Go in grace, go in peace, in the name of Jesus. Amen. 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 Thanks for coming this morning, everybody. It's been a good day. Amen.